Good morning. Let's go ahead. And, all right. Let's go ahead and begin our time. That was motivational over there. Thank you. All right. We ought to begin because last week I did not finish. So the goal would be to finish what I intended to um, discuss last week and then move into our next section. So this morning we're going to begin by just exploring just this reality as we, as we look through the work of the Holy Spirit. Last week we talked about inspiration. This week we're going to talk about illumination in regards to the Holy Spirit's ministry in the life of a believer to understand the scriptures. So we'll talk about illumination and then we'll move into the Holy Spirit's role in the Old Testament. And really, it wasn't like this happened, you know, purposefully from, from my perspective last week, but, but to talk about illumination and the necessity of the Spirit's role in our lives to rightly understand the scripture, that really will move well into thinking through um, the Holy Spirit's active ministry in the life of the Old Testament saint even. So I, I, think, I think the two will, will just really work well as one theme today as we consider uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's begin in prayer. And really, if we just reminded ourselves last week of, of the inspiration of the scripture that the, the Holy Spirit um, inspired all scripture, and then we're going to talk about the necessity of the Spirit to open our eyes to understand the scripture, just really is rightful thinking to, to begin in prayer anytime you're going to open up scripture. And so I hope that just continues to ring true in, in, our, in our minds uh, of our dependence on the Spirit in all of life and particularly in understanding the Word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this morning. Um, it's right and good for us to gather. You've called us to such things. Um, but uh, in, in obedience to your commands, we also recognize uh, how good your commands are for us. And so what a, what a blessing and ministry it is in the life of a believer to gather with other believers and to think upon your word, to fellowship around the word, to pray together, to sing together. And so I pray that, that you would be glorified through our worship today. And I pray that we would um, delight in worshiping you and that we'd also find great encouragement um, through the fellowship that we have together with other believers. And so as we open up your word now, we are going to be reminded of our need for the Spirit to, to work in our lives, to, to understand, to, um, to comprehend uh, the Scripture. And so we just pray, that's our prayer, that, that you would open our eyes to behold uh, wonderful uh, things out of your word. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so if you brought your hand out from last week, the content for Illumination is there. I went ahead. It is included in the handout that was, that was given this week too, so you don't really have to pull that out from last time. So you see the heading on your handout related to the Holy Spirit and the Old Testament, but if you flip over to page two, that, that's really the content of, of the handout. From, from last week in regards to illumination. You'll notice there was actually going to be a summary quote from John MacArthur at the end of that. And really, because we didn't 
tie the two in together, I might just begin with that to see the connection between both inspiration and illumination that we, that we began to discuss last week. So just look at the bottom of the handout there, that, that quote from John MacArthur. It says, through his ministry, the Holy Spirit, through his ministry of inspiration, the Holy Spirit has given us the word of God. So that really summarizes what we talked about last week. We, we have the word of God, um, who wrote the Bible, chosen men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit has given us the word of God. And then so then this morning, through his ministry of illumination, he has opened our eyes to understand and submit to biblical truth. So when we think of the Holy Spirit's work in, in the word, we're seeing both inspiration and illumination. Uh, he's revealed his word given us his word, and then he gives us understanding of, of God's word. And so Psalm 119, 18 is very much just a really a, a summary uh, prayer for understanding that, that, that we need illumination from God to understand his word. So the psalmist writes in Psalm 119, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. So that's what we're talking about with illumination. He had, the Spirit has opened our eyes to understand. And, um, and then it doesn't stop there. There's, there's empowerment in, in obeying the Scripture as well. So we can understand and obey the Scriptures by the work of the Spirit in the life of a believer. So illumination then is the Spirit's work in the mind of a believer to reveal the truth of God. That's a, that's a definition from, from another pastor uh, illumination is the Spirit's work in the mind of a believer to reveal the truth of God. And so, what a, what a good habit, and not, not just rote words, but maybe it's such a good habit to, to begin your time in the Word with, with a, that prayer, the psalm, psalmist prayer of Psalm 119, 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. So let's look then at a parable. Uh, just to begin uh, real quick, this, this implied reality of illumination um, throughout the scriptures. Uh, so you're not going to see a word like illumination in this, but, but you do see the reality of, of illumination. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. So with the youth, we have spent the last few months uh, walking through many, not all, of Jesus' parables and Matthew 13, in a very familiar parable, but the context is so significant when you begin to think of why Jesus began to teach in parables. Because there really is a temptation to think that Jesus taught story because story was just such an effective means of communication. People are having a hard time staying engaged, uh, you know, you know, long sermons, kind of hard to track with. They're boring. You know, these are the kind of assumptions that people are made. So we need story to keep the listener attentive and engaged. You know, see, Jesus taught story. So, so we ought to teach uh, stories as well. And so when you look at this event that takes place in Matthew 13, when Jesus begins to, like his entire public ministry of teaching from this point on is summarized by parabolic teaching. So he begins to teach in parables when he is in public. And so he gives this parable of 
the sower. When you're thinking this, uh, what does a right response to the gospel look like? Uh, that's, what, that's what's going to be taught in this parable. But after he teaches the parable of the soils, then in verse 10, there's a question that comes up. Jesus just taught the crowd. Um, and in verse 10, you have the disciples coming to him and they say to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered to them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And so then he is going to explain the parable to the disciples, those who had ears to hear. And having ears to hear was demonstrated by uh, a desire to understand and then um, an ability to understand. Look then at verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. So you're seeing this first uh, soil is demonstrated of, of someone who does not respond rightly to the gospel. And it's the same with the second soil and it's the same with the third soil. They're all descriptions of, of a wrong response to the gospel, uh, not receiving the word. And only that fourth soil gives an example of someone who hears and, and receives uh, and believes, um, responds rightly to the gospel. Well, here's the reality of why I'm even just spending a few minutes on this parable. You are seeing in the wisdom of God uh, through the public ministry of, of parables by Jesus, he is revealing truth to some and concealing truth from others. And so those who have hardened their heart to Christ, they had just, the Pharisees had just accused Jesus of doing the work of Satan when he cast out demons in the previous chapter. And um, they've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And uh, they've accused him of all sorts of, of things. They, they've, they've hardened their hearts towards Christ. And so Christ has given them over. He's gonna teach in such a way that, that they're gonna um, audibly hear, but they are not gonna understand. The truth is gonna be concealed from those who he chooses to conceal from. And he's gonna reveal truth to those who have ears to hear. And you think, well, how can this be? How, how can you teach in such a way that some understand, some have ears to hear, and others don't? And it very much is answered by just this reality of illumination, that, um, that God opens the eyes of some to understand, and he, and, he, and he conceals from others. And so he teaches this parable, some understand, others, it's, it's, it's like 
the parents in, you know, a Charlie Brown, you know, show. It's just, it's just mumbled words. It doesn't make sense to them. And so, so that's what's going on here in Jesus' parables. And so he's revealing truth and concealing truth in the same time with his instruction. And the way that this is carried out by the sovereignty of God is, is um, the illumination of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit opens our eyes to understand wonderful things from his law. So Psalm 119.18, that prayer is a very significant reality to, to come to grips with. Let's look at two other cross-references that you have in your handout. You actually have the, the text there on the handout, so you don't even have to turn there. But 1 Corinthians chapter 2, this is really an important passage of Scripture to come to grips with in regards to our dependence on the Spirit to rightly understand spiritual things, to understand the Scripture. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, beginning in verse 11, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Uh, I read that pretty quickly. Let's Let's look at that last sentence again. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So, in this text, you are seeing the ministry of illumination, the Holy Spirit in, in the minds of uh, the believer. When you're, you're seeing the natural man doesn't understand spiritual things. That's that last thing. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. If you don't have the spirit of God, you're not going to understand his word. And so the natural man doesn't understand. So he has given us understanding, uh, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. This is something that the natural person does not accept. They don't, they don't accept the things of the spirit because they don't have the spirit. They don't understand spiritual things because they don't have the Spirit. And so this is the doctrine of illumination, that the Spirit illumines the believer to understand the Scripture. 1 John 2, also a significant passage, and a passage that you'd want to interpret Scripture with Scripture, because you could be um, confused if you just isolate verse 27 from the rest of Scripture. But you see... um, 1 John 2, verse 20 and verse 27. Verse 20 says, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. This is something that is true of all believers. They all have knowledge. Verse 27 saying, But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. If you're thinking in the context here, and you're reading about these, um, these false teachers, and the, the, um, that you it ought not be, so they ought not be easily deceived by the false teaching, anti-Christ, 
false teaching. They don't need somebody else to say, hey, this is actually false. This is anti-Christ. This is against Christ. No, they have the spirit of God within them. They ought to be able to discern uh, truth from error in regards to this. They don't even need someone else to point that out to them because they have the Holy Spirit within them. What I mean by you don't want to, you don't want to, you know, be misled by just verse 27. You might take this and think, see, I don't need to sit under preaching. I don't need to be taught the scripture. I don't need teachers. I don't need anyone. It's just me and God and my personal relationship. We can go all sorts of places in the scripture to see that's not the takeaway from verse 27. It's just showing us if we have the spirit of God and dwelt within us, um, we ought to be able to discern between truth and error. Um, we ought not be easily deceived because the spirit illumines believers. So 1 Corinthians 2, what a helpful cross-reference and 1 John 2 certainly um, testifying to this as well. We'll finish this subject so we can get into um, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, but I do want to make one other one other point, uh, I think this is helpful to understand. If we're thinking um, the Holy Spirit illumines us, we're dependent on the Holy Spirit to understand the scripture, this doesn't mean that, that we, it doesn't take effort uh, to understand the scripture. In fact, we're going to see that in our next section. As we start to think about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, we really have to think carefully about all of scripture. To, um, to, we need to study the scripture to understand how, how the Holy Spirit um, ministered in the Old Testament and how he ministers in, in the New Covenant. Um, so it doesn't mean that, that believers don't have to get study. It doesn't mean that, that we don't have to discipline ourselves to, to study the scripture. And it doesn't disregard the fact that we need to sit under uh, the preaching of the word and think carefully about what's being preached. We don't just kind of sit back mindlessly and expect, you know, the, the Holy Spirit just to kind of like infuse, you know, truth into our minds without any mind activity, right? Okay, so we're recognizing we're relying on the Spirit, but it, but it doesn't dismiss the reality that we have to give effort to our study, um, have to invest, you know, we have to discipline ourselves to know the Scripture, we have to spend time in the Scripture to understand the Scripture. On, um, we could go with that. But because we have much to still consider, uh, let's, let's flip the page over and work now through this next work of the Holy Spirit and it's in regards to the Holy Spirit and the Old Testament believer. It's really important to understand because it can come across relatively confusing if you don't understand that, that there is a distinction between the way that the Holy Spirit ministered in the life of a believer in the Old Testament and how the Holy Spirit ministers in the life of a believer in the New Covenant. And so what I want to do, I'm just going to read a couple passages and I, without, without giving comments about other things that you know to be true, I'm hoping to get some observations from you from just these texts. What do we observe about the Holy Spirit from, from these texts? So you don't have these in your notes yet, you, um, but you could write these down on your introductory thoughts if you want to. But, but in, in Ezekiel, when we think of... Uh, New covenant that is promised. Listen to Ezekiel 36, verse 27. So if you want to write that cross-reference down, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27. We read, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So, in Ezekiel, this is um, a promise of this, this new 
covenant um, that is going to be given. And Ezekiel is saying, through, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is, you know, God speaking to his people. And he says, I will give you uh, a new heart. Verse 26, I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So from that prophecy, what do we learn about the Holy Spirit and, and the Old Testament? Or what, any observations you make about verse 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. He wasn't yet within any of them. He wasn't yet within. Okay, so there's something that's about to happen that hasn't happened. He, if he's, I will put my spirit um, within you is what Jim's pointing out. He wasn't within them is what you see from, Jerem, uh, from Ezekiel. So he's saying, this is something that's going to happen. I will put my spirit within you. Okay, so think, there's, there's something about the new covenant that is different from the Old Testament reality of these, the Old Testament saints did not have the Holy Spirit within them. Now turn to this passage real quick. Everybody turn to John chapter three. I really am not planning to say much from John, I do want to look at a couple passages, but next week, Ben is going to be teaching on the Holy Spirit and uh, in the Gospels and Acts. And so you're going to think more carefully about some of these passages. But, but let's just make a couple observations about the Holy Spirit uh, based on John chapter 3. And I guess I really need to go ahead and just read all 10 verses. Uh, Trek trek with me here on this. John 3, familiar, we talked about this even this summer, but now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, well, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Okay, takeaways about the Holy Spirit from from this section. So we just read, you know, in Ezekiel that it's going to be this new covenant promise of the Holy Spirit being within them. What are you seeing in John 3? What was Nicodemus, um, what really should he have understood well at this point when he comes and asks Jesus these questions? The Holy Spirit is the one who illuminates. Nicodemus... Yeah, Nicodemus should have understood the role of the Holy Spirit even in, um, in, in the life of an Old Testament believer. He's, he's the teacher of Israel and he, he doesn't understand this. 
yet you do not understand these things? Uh, do you see anything um, necessary about, uh, if you're, well, look at, look at verse uh, three. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So what is, uh, what is necessary in order to be in a right relationship with God to, to enter into his kingdom? Being, being born again. That's right. And so we have, you're born again. Jesus said, um, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So we're seeing that being born again is necessary. We're seeing that the spirit is very much uh, involved in being born again. We're dependent on the spirit uh, to, to be born again. Ezekiel 36 was saying it's going to be this thing that has not yet happened, that, that the Holy Spirit is going to be within you. But John 3 is saying that Old Testament believers had to have the Holy Spirit work in them in order to be born again. And so you're thinking, well, how is Ezekiel 36, how does that match up with John chapter 3? And then how does that even match up with what we just read in 1 Corinthians 2? What did we read about that's necessary for Old Testament believer, New Testament believer, in order to understand the scripture. What do we all need? The Holy Spirit. Okay, so Ezekiel 36 says it's going to be this future reality that the new, uh, uh, in the new covenant when the Holy Spirit um, indwells the believer. He will be within you. John 3 is saying, though, that in the Old Testament is very much the Holy Spirit's ministry uh, for, for someone to be born again. 1 Corinthians 2, for anyone to understand the scripture, it's going to be because the Spirit opens his eyes. So then turn to one more. Again, this text will be more of a focus next week, but turn to John chapter 14. Because you might start asking yourself, if you just read Ezekiel 36, you could think, you know what? I'm starting to think that the Holy Spirit was not active in the life of a believer in the Old Testament. Because in this new covenant promise, it's going to be future when the Holy Spirit is within the believer. But then when you look at these other texts carefully, you're seeing the Holy Spirit is very much active in the life of a believer. But there is something that's distinct. And so John 14 tells us this. John 14, verses 16 and 17, um, Jesus says, uh, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. To be with you forever. Verse 17, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you will know, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so I do think, we'll, we'll explore this more next week, but you're seeing something very helpful here in John 14 when Jesus is telling them that the Spirit is going to be in them. He is with you, but he will be in you. And so as we walk through the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, we are recognizing that there is a distinct work. That there, the Holy Spirit worked in the life of an Old Testament believer differently than he does in the life of a new covenant Christian. And so we don't need to be confused by these two realities. They're, they're, they, they, it makes sense as you think carefully about these texts. So why this is important is because there have been a variety of viewpoints over, over the years to think about the Holy Spirit and the Old Testament uh, 
the relationship between the Holy Spirit's work in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so you, ha- you have a variety of viewpoints. I'm going to summarize them by three different viewpoints, and then we're going to hone in on one as we walk through some passages of Scripture. So the first viewpoint would be that um, based on, you know, this reality that you read about this new covenant promise that, that the Holy Spirit, in this future promise of the Holy Spirit being um, within you, there's, there's a viewpoint that the Holy Spirit, while active in certain ways in the Old Testament, he was not, there's no regeneration and there's no permanent indwelling of a believer in the Old Testament. So we could even characterize this as um, just a just discontinuity. There, there's no, there, there's no um, similar work between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's completely just discontinuity. So in the Old Testament, Old Testament believers were not regenerated. Old Testament believers were not indwelt by the, the Spirit. That's, that's the first viewpoint. No regeneration, no permanent indwelling. The second viewpoint would be that when you look to the Old Testament versus the New Testament, there's no difference between the two. You have regeneration, because how else is somebody going to enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again? So you're seeing Old Testament saints had to be regenerated, but also Old Testament saints were also permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit, because how else are they going to be regenerated unless they're indwelt with the Holy Spirit? So the first view would see the Holy Spirit's role in the Old Testament as completely um, disconnected from the New Testament. So no regeneration, no indwelling. The next view is saying there's nothing different between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament saint was regenerated and indwelt by the Holy Spirit the same way that the New Testament believer is indwelt and well regenerated and indwelt. And you'd be surprised to read a variety of names of, of individuals that you really would appreciate about a variety of theological um, truth that, that hold to this view of um, complete continuity between the Old Testament and New Testament in regards to the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit regenerates and indwells the Old Testament saint in the same way that the Holy Spirit regenerates and indwells the New Testament saint. Well, I'm going to present this, this. This may not, you know, I don't mean to make this sound like this is, you know, new and you never heard this before, but there's a, there's a third understanding, a third viewpoint, and I think it would represent what, well, what I'm going to present and certainly what, what our church would, would hold to in regards to the role of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. This third viewpoint would be that there is regeneration. John 3 makes it clear. You have to be born again by the Spirit in order to be in a right relationship with God. So the Holy Spirit regenerated Old Testament saints, but did not permanently indwell all Old Testament saints. So you have regeneration, but no permanent indwelling. So again, there's, there's those three views. First view would be no regeneration, no indwelling. Second view, regeneration and indwelling. And the third view would be regeneration, yes, permanent indwelling, no. And, and so that's what we're going to try and look at here real quickly. Obviously, there could be, you know, even more intricate like views within several of those, but I was trying to summarize them in, in three different points. So let's just look at a few of these texts to try and get at this reality of, of regeneration, yes, permanent indwelling, no. Um, there are plenty of examples of the Spirit working in 
someone in the Old Testament, but we need to ask ourselves, is this permanent indwelling? So, so let's just work. This is kind of the middle of your handout. We're just going to look at these passages in Numbers and 1 Samuel and, and Judges, and, and I'm going to not be able to look at all of them. already realizing that. But let's just start in Numbers 11. Numbers 11, verses 16 and 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. So this is pretty Interesting. You have Moses, um, the Spirit on Moses, and the Spirit is going to be, some of the Spirit on Moses is going to be given to these, um, these elders, these 70 men. Okay, move over to verse 25. Well, I'll read 24. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him, and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Uh, 29, also helpful. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Well, I read all those different passages, you are seeing the Holy Spirit very much active on, in, in Israel. So he, he's on Moses. He, some of the Spirit is on these 70 elders. And then when these 70 elders have the Spirit on them, they are, they are prophesying. You know, they are, they are uh, verse, what was that, 25? Uh, as soon as the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied but they did not continue doing it. And then verse 29 is saying, oh, would that all of the Lord's people be prophets that the Lord would put his spirit on them. So in this passage, you're seeing the spirit actively working in Israel, but the spirit is not indwelt in all of um, God's people. It's on Moses, it's on these 70 elders, but it's not on everyone. Okay, move next, Numbers 27. Numbers 27 <clears throat> 18, 19. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eleazar, the priest and all the congregation and you shall commission him in their sight. So now you see Joshua who has um, verse, verse uh, 18, a man in whom is the spirit and lay your hand on him. So you're seeing the Holy Spirit working in extraordinary ways on the leaders of Israel. So it's true of Moses, it's true of these 70 elders, it's true of Joshua. Uh, you, you walk through the judges and you see the Spirit on certain judges as they uh, lead. Uh, you even think as the Spirit comes upon Samson, as he leads, but also in extraordinary ways in regards to strength. Even, uh, go there, 13, Judges 13. Judges 13, 25. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Uh, 
So, so you're seeing in the life of Samson, the spirit of the Lord uh, began to stir him. Uh, skip those difficult Hebrew words and go to chapter 14. Uh, look at verse six. Um, then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. Uh, go down to verse 19, uh, 14, 19. Um, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. Chapter 15, verse 14. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it and with it he struck 1,000 men. So you're seeing in extraordinary ways the spirit come on leaders of Israel to do, um, to prophesy, to lead with wisdom, to, uh, to overpower them by um, a thousand men. Samson destroys because of the spirit. Okay, so let's move even uh, into more of just uh, the spirit's work on the leader of Israel in leading well. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 10. This is with Saul. Saul's, you know, kind of a confusing character in the Old Testament to think um, about kind of inconsistent, right? Just such, such um, polar opposite activity going on in, in his life. Verse, 10, verse 1 of 10, Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel and you shall reign over the people of the Lord and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies and this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. So, so Saul is, is anointed as king um, go over to chapter 16 real quick. What I just read? 10-1. Yeah, yeah. Okay, 16-13. Um, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Okay, so... In 10.1 and 16.13, you see this um, act of Samuel taking oil and anointing the king. And, and um, in 16, you see when David is anointed as king, that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And so, I'm not seeing in my notes where you see Saul... In a similar way, he, he has the spirit on him. And so there are events in the, the ministry of Saul where he even, when he has the spirit on him, he, he even prophesies. He has the, the spirit uh, comes and goes on Saul. And then when the, when the spirit departs from Saul, Saul becomes you know, an irrational fool who um, does wild and crazy things. Like that when, when, the anointing, when the anointing has departed, it's now on David, chapter 16, verse, uh, verse 13. 
uh, dramatic change has taken place now. Uh, you're just going to see entire folly from Saul. And David is, is now this um, anointed king. The spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So the spirit would come and go in all sorts of different contexts in the Old Testament. And so even in the king, the ministry of the, the king who would rule over Israel, had the spirit upon him uh, for certain tasks. And so Saul had the spirit, uh, but then he... Did not, did not remain with him. Then in, as David was anointed king, David now had the spirit on him as the anointed king. So then it makes sense in our minds when you read in Psalm 51, in light of David's sin with Bathsheba, when, when he's praying that the Lord would not remove the Holy Spirit from him, David is not praying that God would not take salvation away from David. David's praying that this, this rule would not depart from David as it did from Saul. He has this mental picture of, of Saul. Saul's unfaithful reign, the spirit departs from Saul, is given to David, and David is praying that you, this would not too happen for David just like it did with Saul. David's praying that the Holy Spirit would not be removed from him. So that's Psalm 51. Um, just because of time, we, we can't look at uh, everything that's there, but just realize all of these different cross-references are all speaking to examples of the Spirit on people in the Old Testament, but not um, permanent and, and not on everyone. And so, so there's going to be a difference as we go into the New Covenant, and we're going to see that the Holy Spirit indwells all believers, and he does so in a permanent way, we're seeing very much a distinction between the Holy Spirit's ministry in the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit's ministry in the New Testament. So, so from all of those cross-references and from what we've, we've read from, from John 3, John 14, et cetera, et cetera, let's just kind of list for me just real quickly. What, what are some examples of, of discontinuity between the Holy Spirit's ministry in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Based on all we've read, what, what would just be some words you'd use to summarize discontinuity between the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and New? Temporary, Temporary in the Old, permanent, we'll, as we'll see next week, in the New. Anything else? Uh, Jim, your comment earlier would, would be one too when you're saying he's not, um, it's like with, God is with the people, but he's not in them in a permanent and dwelt way. So, so God dwelt amongst his people. We kept seeing that over and over in Leviticus. God, and, um, God was with the people, but he was not within them in a, in a permanent and dwelt way. Um, okay. Yeah, there, there was some extraordinary reason for the Holy Spirit to come on them. Even, so it's fun to see, you know, rulers, leaders, but also even skilled labor. So craftsmen in building, you know, the temple. It was, it was the spirit who came upon them. That Exodus 31 talks about some of those special skills where the spirit worked on in, in and through someone in a, in a temporary and specific way. Anyway, there's, I think there's just a lot of ways. We could see distinction here, discontinuity in that all believers in the New Testament are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, it was not all. It was, as you said, you know, it seems like it was someone who, a special task or a special role when, when the Spirit came upon someone in the Old Testament. Um, and then in the New Testament, uh, 
he, he is within them. Okay, so then what would be some continuity between the Old Testament and New Testament in regards to the, the Holy Spirit and his work in the life of um, the believer? When you have the Spirit, you're very discerning. Okay, you, wait, we're dependent on the Spirit, right? We're, and we're very, this, the, the Spirit gives us insight, understanding. Um, there's active ministry, both in the Old Testament and New Testament. So if you think of those viewpoints I was given earlier, if someone, and I don't even actually know someone who would hold to this view, but if you're saying the Holy Spirit was not active in the Old Testament, um, you, you'd think, well, how would somebody be born again? How would somebody understand the scriptures? Because 1 Corinthians 2, John 3, make it clear, we're dependent on the Spirit to be born again. We're dependent on the Spirit to understand the scripture. So we're seeing, man, when the Holy Spirit was necessary, his, his work in the Old Testament was necessary, and the Holy Spirit indeed was active in the Old Testament. Um, just as much as those statements about the Holy Spirit would be true, regeneration is, is absolutely necessary in the Old Testament, just as much as the New. Yes? In the ministry of Christ, um, the Holy Spirit has not been given yet when he is speaking to them. And some do have eyes to uh, see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand, and they come to him and believe. Um, we see this even in evidence when he's having a conversation with Martha at the raising of Lazarus from the dead. She understands who he is. She understands what the end times will be, but doesn't know what he's about to do. She doesn't fully understand his ministry. Certainly, it seems her heart is regenerated. Um, it seems she has some discernment that the Holy Spirit's working in her. She's not getting prophecy, but she has she has some understanding. It, absolutely right. So here's where here's where we really end up, and I, I think it's just kind of interesting. I. I think there just must be an assumption in our minds sometimes if we think John 14 talks about something that is going to happen and you're thinking um, there must just be, it, there's, a, there's an equating of regeneration with indwelling. If you're thinking all believers are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, it's a new covenant reality. And you're thinking that um, all believers are regenerate and all believers are indwelt. That's, those, those two things are true for new covenant believers. But I think the assumption that we make is that those two terms are synonymous. So for someone to be regenerate is for somebody to be indwelt. And so then you apply that to the Old Testament and you think, well, Old Testament saints were not indwelt, so Old Testament saints were not regenerate. And, and that, doesn't, that doesn't add up with the evidence in the scriptures. And so what I think we just need to see is there is a distinctive work. Uh, regeneration and, and, and indwelling are not synonyms. And so, so all believers are regenerate and all new covenant believers are permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You do certainly see the Holy Spirit temporarily coming on for a variety of tasks as we've looked in the Old Testament, but you do not see permanent indwelling in the Old Testament. Uh, you do see regeneration in the Old Testament. So if you think of, you know, this, this plea for, for life to, to give me life, you know, to, to open my eyes, um, these, are, these are pleas for regeneration. But um, there's no expectation of permanent indwelling in the Old Testament. Uh, so then let's look, then what is the expectation? You see that it prophesied, if you have it at the very end of your handout, in Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah talks about days that are coming, meaning this is, this is a future reality for Israel, in light of the new covenant, uh, days are coming where I will make a new covenant, a new 
covenant, Jeremiah 31. So then this, this new covenant reality, as, as we already have looked at, is, is explored here in Ezekiel 36 when he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So I think errors in regards to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament would be to see his ministry as identical in both the Old Testament and New. There, there is discontinuity, there is continuity, but uh, there, is, um, there is distinction between Old Testament and New. Um, other, another error I think would be to just see um, that Old Testament believers were saved apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Because that's certainly not true. John 3 makes that clear. Um, unless you're born again and you're born again by the Spirit, you will not enter the kingdom of God. So I hope that's clarifying. Really, I think what I want to make sure everybody comes away with is just recognizing that um, as the church, new covenant, like realities that we can delight in, is that if God opens our eyes, we respond rightly to the gospel, we're saved, we're regenerated, we have the Holy Spirit indwelt within us. And that will not depart. We cannot lose our salvation. The Holy Spirit does not come and go in the life of a believer. The Holy Spirit permanently indwells all of the New Testament saints. And so what a, what a, del- a privilege and delight it is to know that. And so then you just need to discern the scriptures when you're reading about this coming and going in the Old Testament. We don't have to fear that in our own lives because that's a distinct work the Holy Spirit did. In, in the Old Testament. There's a lot there that we, um, I, I bet it'll even be clarified next week as we, as we think carefully about the permanent indwelling that, it, that is laid out in the Gospel of John. Because it's uh, 10 minutes after I should have finished, I'm just going to go ahead and pray. And, uh, let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this morning. We're thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. God, you, um, you, You've saved us. You opened our eyes to, to respond rightly to the gospel. And then you've given us the Holy Spirit to understand the scripture, to obey the scripture, to grow in godliness, and to seal us as well. Uh, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. We cannot lose our salvation. You hold us fast. And so we just delight in that truth as we think upon the work of the Holy Spirit and the life of of the believer. Thankful for the truthfulness of your word. Help us to be students of the word and give us understanding by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.